Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where we bring you the latest in the worlds of computing, technology, science, and everything else in between. During each episode, a group of Ars staffers will dig deep into some of the issues we've covered on the site. We will also talk about some other stuff we're doing when we're not circling the Ars orbiting headquarters. This week, we are dedicating our show to summer travel and gadgets. What kind of gadgets do you bring when you travel for work, and what do you bring when you're on vacation? Um, since it is now June, we decided it is time to talk about all this stuff. I am your host, Senior Apple Editor, Jackie Chang. And on this week's show, we have Open Source Editor, Ryan Paul. Hello. Ars Contributor, Casey Johnston. Hello. And Social Editor, Cesar Torres. Hi. So, are you guys going anywhere this summer? What, what are your plans? No plans. No plans so far to go anywhere. No plans. Well, I, ha- okay. I, I have a couple. Okay, where are you going? <clears throat> so, first, I'm going to New York. And then second, I'm going to New York. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, let me explain. Nice job. Uh, I'm, I'm actually moving in the fall to New York uh, right around September. And in order to do that, I'm, I have to take a trip for about a week. So this will be a kind of a working trip to New York in July. So I'll be there for a week. Hopefully, I will sign a lease or have some type of accommodation for the fall, and then I'll go in in the fall. And besides that, there is the possibility of a road trip if if the, my budget allows it. So once um, Matt, my partner, comes back, we will figure out if we can do this short road trip. Um, and then, I, Jackie, I don't know, maybe we can talk about this notion of half marathon talk. I don't oh, know if that's going to... Yeah, we'll, we'll have to bring that up later. That's sort of like the... The ugly gonna, stepchild in the corner. You're going right to call now. me on the half marathon right here on the podcast. <laughs> I am. I it's going to be ugly. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm doing uh, quite a bit okay. of flying, but also possibly one road trip. So I, we can talk about what I'll take with me. Are, are, I guess, Ryan, are you going anywhere? Even for like work stuff, are you? Are you... Well, I'll be at, uh, in San Francisco for Google I.O. later this month. Um and I'm really looking forward to that. I always like San Francisco. Um, but that's really my only plans. I might I might be doing a little more traveling later, later this year, another trip to San Francisco. But uh, yeah, um, it's actually fewer events this year than last year. Yeah, it does seem like that, even for me. And my schedule is, is pretty much always tied to Apple. But like, I don't know. It feels like I'm traveling less this year than usual. You but, know, uh, I, could, I could add too that um, I'm not going anywhere, but I did just come back from Mexico, so I can answer questions about, for instance, using a Kindle 3G internationally. That was a thing I experienced. Yeah, was how, how was that? I mean, since we're on this topic, um, how, how was it? Well, I'll tell you. Um, I went down there. I think I, I asked Susser before I went, like, do you know if the 3G works? Does it, like, will it connect? Does it cost anything extra? And he said, I think he said he didn't know the last time he had been to Mexico, he... Uh, didn't have a Kindle yet. I don't think they existed yet. Did they exist? Uh, I used it recently in Germany. So oh, okay. I, I traveled last uh, winter to, to Germany, and I was there for about eight, seven or eight weeks. But I have never tried it in Mexico. When I actually had a Kindle before on a Mexico trip, I didn't turn on anything because I was worried about incurring fees. Oh, I see. So I've never tried it there. But in, in Europe, it worked quite well. Huh. So how yeah, was it see, in Mexico? How did it turn out? Well, when I connected, 
Um, I got, oh, I wish I had my Kindle with me so I could read it, but I got, I got like a, it, when I connected the 3G, it automatically downloaded a, a, a notice it was called on like the home screen where it lists all your books. It downloaded a notice that said it was going to, that I could not, I could not browse the internet while I was on 3G. Um, I could receive my, if I had any subscriptions to like the New, the New York Times or whatever, I could get them for an extra, I think it was like $5 per installment or something like that. And if I wanted to um, download books, I want to say it was an extra dollar per megabyte of data that I got. So that's what that's what it tells you in the notice. And I haven't, I haven't even, I actually did download a couple of books and I haven't even checked to see if they charge me and how much it came to be, but. I think most books are pretty small, right? They're like a, a megabyte or two. Yeah, so between a like, megabyte, yeah, maybe three. So uh, it's just like an extra dollar or two to get these books. I got a similar notice for my magazine subscriptions. I have a New Yorker subscription, and I didn't want to pay the extra money, so I just held off on that. But uh, the I didn't get the one for book downloads for extra cost, so... <laughs> Yeah, I was particularly mad that you couldn't use the browser because I was really hoping that if I needed to, <laughs> if I needed to be on the internet <laughs> when I was you, on vacation, which is not a need, um, that I would be. Can't able even to tell if you're being sarcastic because have you ever used the can- the Kindle browser? I have. I I did actually. I think when I very first got my Kindle, I like brought it with me in my purse to go just like run an errand, and I ended up using uh, Google Talk. I think on on the thing. I mean, it was just email to like talk to my mom, yeah, on the Kindle, on the Kindle's three G. That's the craziest thing I ever heard because everyone, <laughs> up until up until this this moment when we are talking right here on the podcast, I did not know that anyone actually used the Kindle browser for anything. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know that, it's actually I'm... a pretty sophisticated, full featured WebKit based browser. It's just painfully slow for any kind of screen refreshes or whatever. The keyboard huh. is horrendous as well. Yeah, the keyboard is awful. I mean, you have to admit on the Kindle, it's not the greatest. Oh, yeah. It was it was not fun, but it, for whatever reason, I didn't have my phone on me at the time. I don't know if I just forgot it or I was getting it fixed or something, but um, this it this stood in and it, it it worked. I mean, it wasn't like a beautiful experience, but it, it worked in a pinch. You know what's really funny is um, actually, you know, talking about the Kindle browser, with the Kindle Touch, you can actually do pinch to zoom. It just looks ridiculous. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> what is it I mean, what does it do? Is it like really slow? Yeah, it's just like 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 almost slideshow slowness, but you can actually do like the pinch gesture and it'll change the size of all the elements. Oh wow. Oh I wanna see that. Hmm. Does it pinch up. zoom like on PDFs or anything like that? I don't think so. I don't know. I just tried it in the browser and it worked. It kinda of blew my mind. Oh wow. <laughs> nice. Weird. It seems like all of us travel with Kindles, yeah? Yeah. I, yeah, that's I like that's like the one thing. I technically don't bring my Kindle Kindle with me anymore. Um, I I bring my iPad and use my Kindle app because I try to cut down on the amount of stuff I'm bringing with me. But I should bring my Kindle when I go to the beach, like places where this this probably won't sound very good. But when I go to places where I worry that my stuff might be stolen or like get really dirty, such as the beach, um, I will bring my hardware Kindle because that is cheaper. <laughs> and easier to replace. But um, otherwise, if I'm just going somewhere, I bring my iPad. Yeah, it's a bit of a challenge 
bringing both because I usually want to bring both an iPad and the Kindle, but uh, the way I travel, and that's probably what I'll do this year when I when I do these road, uh, trips and the road trip, I'll take the my iPhone and the Kindle, but probably not the iPad. Really, on your trips, you're not going to bring your iPad. That's if I'm traveling light, it, it'll I'll travel that way because I that means I've chosen for myself to focus on reading my books, and okay. if I really need to read the news or my RSS feeds, I can do that on the phone. But I'm favoring one over the other. You know, the thing about the the iPad is like unless you have the 3G model or you want to deal with tethering it, you know, to your with your Wi-Fi hotspot or whatever, it just it's like such a pain to get connectivity when you're out traveling on the go. Um, and you know, the, like the more I think about it, like, like I really don't use the iPad that much on trips. Cause if I want to do internet stuff, it'd be on the phone. If I want to do reading it'd be on the Kindle. That's true. I guess I just bring it with me because I feel like I use it a lot in the, in my hotel room in terms of like figuring out where, you know, where I'm going, what I'm doing, but you're right. I mean, that is true. In general, I, I mostly stick to my iPhone and maybe Kindle if I need to read. Maybe I need to completely revamp how I think about my gadgets when I travel. <laughs> you know, the issue for me, too, is that the iPad is kind of bulky. Um, and, you know, like like I keep thinking, like, if they do a 7-inch model, that would really be a more ideal travel companion. Yeah, but I, I mean, I personally don't believe in the seven-inch model. And I don't believe in it either. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, oh I my mean, god! Like, like, okay, just to be clear, like, you don't believe in the sense that you don't think Apple will ever do it, or you don't think it's a good idea. Uh, I don't think that Apple will ever do it. Okay. Um, in terms of whether it's a good idea, I haven't decided yet, so I'm kind of in the middle on that. But I don't think that Apple will go down that route. But then, of course, by the time this podcast gets published, we'll be like. You know, 48 hours from the time. <laughs> we'll be like 48 hours from the time Tim Cook goes on stage and is like, hey, guys, we're introducing a seven-inch iPad. Uh, we'll eat our words. Yeah. You know, I have, you know, I have some experience with, like, the, the Kindle, the, I mean, the um, Nook Color and, um, like, the Samsung Galaxy Tab 7. And, you know, I really do think that there's a place for the seven-inch form factor, you know, irrespective of whether – you know, Apple Apple gets there or not. You know, I think that a seven inch device it just it makes so much more sense for portability um, for you know for a travel device. Like if Apple doesn't do it, I'd be pretty tempted just to get a an Android one at that at that form factor. Well, one one thing I'd like to mention for my own use of it, I I would love that if that existed. Uh, and, but this would be specifically for work trips. When when I need stuff for work, I will actually leave the Kindle. It's kind of the opposite. I'll leave the Kindle, and I would prefer to just have my MacBook Air and then a, a tablet, hopefully a lighter one, that I can use in conjunction with it. Because I do use both uh, if I'm traveling for work. This is, this is actually funny because when I'm traveling for work, I usually bring my iPad, but I almost never use it. So I pretty much – when I'm traveling for work, I am almost exclusively go to San Francisco because of Apple, you know, Apple events. Um, and I pretty much just bring my MacBook Air, a DSLR camera, a lens, and like all my 3G stuff, like a hotspot and my iPhone and you know various things like that. But I I almost never read at all when I'm doing work things, so I don't really need a Kindle or an iPad. But I always bring my iPad anyway. Um, I don't know. That's weird, actually. Now that I think about it, <laughs> maybe I should. Uh, completely ditch my iPad altogether when I go to work stuff. 
Yeah, what is the point of the iPad? Just that it's more comfortable to read on if you're well, the, in tight the, space? This is the, the irony is that I actually don't think it's particularly comfortable to read on. Um, it just happens to be the device that I I use the most. So when I'm going on vacation vacations, you know, not work stuff, I tend to use it the most in terms of getting on the internet and then also reading. So I, I'm trying to consolidate the amount of crap that I'm bringing with me mostly. And then so if I if I can reduce, if I can get rid of a device and still get the same functionality, um, so I can get rid of my hardware Kindle and still be able to read my Kindle books, um, then that's what I'll use. But I don't know. Now, you guys are making me think about whether I really need to bring my iPad everywhere or not. <laughs> you know, another thing I started doing recently was um, uh, I started listening to science fiction podcasts when I travel. And it, I enjoy that so much. Like I might even just ditch, start ditching the Kindle too because I can listen to those podcasts right on my phone. And it's mm-hmm. really convenient and it's a lot of content. Well, <clears throat> To, the, to that uh, point, uh, that's something I do a lot of. If I'm going international, you know, I, I usually my stress level about theft goes way up when I'm in Europe or some, you know, another continent. So I try to, of course, bring less in. Uh, in whatever city I go, I'm always going to try to go for a run. So I need something that will work with uh, GPS if I can get the signal and track my, my runs. But I also want something to read, something to listen to music. And the iPhone tends to work for me pretty well. So I, I couldn't live without it if I'm going that far away. Domestically, for some reason, I have less fear about what's going to happen to my technology. It, it, that's very irrational, what I just <laughs> described there, but that's kind of how my brain works. You know, it kind of, kind of brings up an issue, though. It's like you think about all these devices we bring, and I think if I really had to, I could really just boil it down to bringing only the phone. And I could I could still be just as productive. Even if I had to choose one device, you know, it would always be the phone. Even leaving out a laptop. Yeah, me too. I, if yeah. I had to choose mm-hmm. one single thing, it would probably be my phone. Yeah, everything's because, in there. Because you know, even you can even do. It won't be pretty, but you can even do you know some work stuff through your phone now. Yeah. Uh, so. It's almost like the universal device that if you needed one single thing, that would be it. Uh, what would we need if we were to make our phones into our into like a travel work companion? Probably just a keyboard. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, like like kind of a blast from the past here. I used to be really into those um, like Nokia internet tablet devices, like their their early generation of Linux tablets. Like they had these five inch pocketable devices. Um, back in the day, and that was really a pretty sophisticated, you know, companion device for for business travel because, you know, with a pretty complete Linux system, it could run almost anything, and um, you know, paired with a, a fold-up Bluetooth keyboard, I could open Vim on that thing. It was just as productive mm-hmm. for me as a laptop. I think that if I had a keyboard too, I think I could I could jam out some posts easily. I've traveled with the Bluetooth keyboard. With either the iPad one, I tried it that way, and then with the iPhone as well. And it's pretty cool. The only problem you have is, depending on what kind of work setup you have, if you actually need to view something at a large enough size, you're going to run into major problems with the iPhone. But if you're just typing stuff and you don't need to look down too much and you're just trying to get something out quickly, it actually worked really well. And I felt like a hero because I was just working on an iPhone with a, a, a... um, a keyboard. 
Interesting. So what do we, I mean, do you guys take all this stuff with you when you go, I mean, just even on normal vacations, do you take tablets and whatnot with you also, or am I just the crazy person who does that? No, mm-hmm. I take that stuff with too. Yeah, on my trip to Mexico, I took I, I took my I had to I had to resist taking my my MacBook Pro, which was like that's my only laptop, the lightest laptop I have. So, and my hotel room is only going to have Ethernet but no Wi-Fi. So, I eventually just shut myself down from taking that. But I did take my iPad, my Kindle, and my phone with me. Wow, you brought a MacBook or you brought an iPad and a Kindle to. <laughs> I did. I was just like, I, I like. It's like I, I kind of know I want to bring my iPad just like for the, for the plane, aspect of it. Like I was going to be on a plane for, mm. I think five hours or so altogether. So I just wanted that to entertain me on the plane, and then a Kindle's only a couple more ounces, and then you know, I can't. I, my my phone is like my security blanket at this point. I can't. <laughs> I can't uh-huh. rightly go anywhere without it. So. I think that I pretty much shed the idea of trying to bring a laptop with me on on personal trips um, a couple of years ago. I used to bring it with me all the time, um, and it, and that was a hard decision for me to make to try and shed it when I go on personal trips. But it, it helps cut down on the bulk and the anxiety of thinking about what could be going on in, on the internet um, when I'm not you know not sitting in front of the computer the whole time. So. You know, along those lines too, the the strategy that I have is actually one about uh, battery consumption <laughs> on my trip. You know, I love thinking about battery life. And so what I'll do is I'll take my my phone, especially if I'm connecting through domestically somewhere, I need to have lots of battery there in case there's an emergency. I need to call relatives, you know, when I'm transferring, et cetera. And then on the flight, I'll have movies maybe loaded for my iPad, and I know that it can last quite a bit. And then separately, I'll have the Kindle because that's really going to last forever uh, through the trip. So I've even gone on some trips for like two weeks where I don't bring the charger for the Kindle because I, I can rest assured that it's going to last me for the trip. So even bringing less uh, less extra gear to charge and, and plug it in is, is really uh, awesome for me. I love that. The Kindle battery life will last for like weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, that's just, it's almost crazy how long it lasts. If I, but I mean, trying to strategize your battery life is good. But if you're going on a trip, I speak from experience where you're going to, you're going to have your charger with you. If I can impart one lesson to the listeners of ours, it would be (laughs) do not pack your charger in your check bag. Always pack it in your carry-on bag because your flight will get delayed six times. You'll be in an airport for 12 hours. Everything you have will run out of battery and you will go crazy. You will go crazy. It happened. That happens to me on work work trips. Like sometimes I'll get stuck somewhere and then my iPhone charger will be in my checked bag and then I'll swear at myself for the rest of the day. Yeah. So So I'm a little mystified here. Like like checked bags. I don't even remember the last time I checked a bag. Oh, I think really? Wow. You guys travel like way heavier than I do. Well, this was, this was when, uh, this was, I think, the first Technicon that I went to, which was about a year ago. And I didn't want to have to bother like packing all of my liquids into three ounce things. So I just like threw all of my shampoos and whatever into a suitcase and checked it because I was like, oh, well, I get too expensive. So it doesn't matter. 
Um, so that's usually when I check is when, if it's a work trip, I'll check a bag just so I don't have to bother with the, with the liquids. I mean, I, I check bags at this point mostly because I just don't want to deal with hauling it around. Yeah, that's um, and I'm I'm tired because of the new you know because of baggage fees and whatnot. Pretty much everyone on Earth is trying to cram their bags into the overhead compartments, and so I kind of just don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with you know fighting to find a spot and all that stuff. So even when I have a small smallish bag, if I can, I try to check it um, just to reduce my own inconvenience. But I used to be the exact opposite before the baggage fees, when everything was reversed and everyone on earth checked their bags, I used to try and bring everything on with me because then of course you don't have to go to, you know, baggage check afterwards to get your stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so much more convenient, you know, getting in and out of the airport if you don't have to deal with the check bag. Yeah. I mean, well, right. It's also cause like Casey just said, there's the whole liquid thing. So I'm always bringing, if if it's if it's going to be longer than a few days, I'm usually bringing a, a lot of stuff with me in terms of liquids, liquid items. I mean, I feel like actually my planes are delayed more often now because there are all these jerks trying to cram, you know, like body bags into the, the overhead compartments. And it's takes forever. And then half the people have to end up checking their stuff uh, plane side anyway. It's very difficult. Difficult to travel these days. Mm-hmm. Does anybody here actually travel without stuff on any of their flights? You know, you're, where you just maybe you just have a paperback or a notebook or nothing. Oh my god, that sounds that sounds like crazy talk to me. Yeah, it's not <laughs> possible. I have such a hard time cramming myself into a coach seat that, uh, yeah, I, w- I think I would probably just go mad if I had to just like sit there staring at the person in front of me the whole time. I used to. When I was younger, I used to bring so much with me on the plane, and um, I don't really know why I did this. I used to be the the best explanation I can come up with is that I used to be a lot more paranoid about just any crazy thing that could possibly happen. So I used to pack my carry on with just every possible thing on earth. And when nine eleven happened, I was not prepared for that, and so I still traveled like I used to, and then I suddenly got stopped everywhere I went. And um, my my greatest story is that I got stopped in San Francisco, like the March of probably 2002, and they – I mean, I swear they took out every single thing that I had in my bag, which is probably everything on earth, including screwdrivers, you know, like (laughs) nail clippers, nail files – all sorts of computery stuff that people didn't even know about at the time. Oh, um, iPods. Like I, this one woman who barely even spoke English, like took out my iPad iPod and she didn't even know what it was. And I had to try and explain to her that it was a music player. Um, and then some guy with a rifle, like he, they had called in someone with weaponry to, to come inspect my stuff. And, um, he gave me a lecture about how I shouldn't carry so much stuff on the plane. And so, I feel like since then I've sort of tried to reduce the amount of stuff I bring, but but I don't know that I could reduce it to the point of just a book. Well, I think for me the the actual gadgets have helped lower my my stress with these experiences on on flights because I hate going through security. I hate opening up my stuff, and if I have one single device, if it's just the phone or a Kindle, I I feel pretty good. So now I do check my bags more so that I can just kind of breeze through and then just sit down and start to read. Cause that's usually what I like to do when I'm flying. 
Yeah, definitely so when like, I was little, I would take, like, anytime I went anywhere with my family, it'd be like, oh, 15 books in my too. suitcase. Me too. So having having a Kindle is, like, such a relief for me because I can just load it up before I go somewhere. And My dad used to get angry at us. He'd say, why, why are you bringing all these books? Because they're heavy. And I would literally <laughs> bring true. about 10 books. Yeah, it wasn't good. You know, that's actually a huge reason why my mom has gotten into the Kindle is because she she reads a lot and so she used to bring a million books with her but now she you know doesn't have to do that she can just bring her little kindle i think a lot of older people are into the kindle for this reason they they like the fact that they can reduce the amount of stuff that they bring with them and the amount and, of clutter like just having all the books around yeah definitely i mean it's even in your own house like there's a certain point where you just have too many books yeah yeah, I know my mom is definitely that way. She's a pretty heavy reader, and it's definitely the same for her. Just the simplicity of the Kindle was really a, a game changer. But um, you know, the the uh, the downside for that audience is they're all used to passing around their books to their friends when they're done and stuff. Point blank, what what are your must-have apps when you travel? You know, anywhere around the world, what what do you have to have loaded in order for you to survive your trip? I think that I need. Um, I need Twitter and I need my maps app, but I don't really have an option in getting rid of that. So <laughs> that's kind of a cheating, um, <laughs> choice. But then I also like trip it because I cannot, I used to be able to memorize all this stuff, but I can't anymore now that I'm old. And, um, so I, I really need that for my travel details, but I mean, I, and then everything else is kind of icing, you know, I'd like to get a, a subway thing for whatever city I'm in. And um, maybe recommendations, but I can always get that from Twitter if I need to. So, yeah, my um, one of my favorite subway map apps is I think it's called Tra- it's either Transit or Transit Maps, but it just store- it be- all basically does is like store PDFs of um, maps that it either it either finds for you or you find online, and it's just like I mean, because half the time I'm looking at subway at, like maps, I'm on the subway and can't connect to the internet so it's nice to have it just in the in the picture form on my phone i actually learned of this other app today just today i wish i had known about it when i'd gone to mexico but it's called gate guru have any of you heard of this no i haven't it's like this application apparently that will it'll like give you maps of all of the places to eat in different airports which I feel like I'm always looking for food and I always end up eating the crappiest thing. And I, I like to know what there is so I can go find it. And that's definitely going to be something I download and check out the next time I go somewhere. You know, I, I kind of enjoy eating the crappiest thing at the airport. Well, I don't mean crappy like like it's bad for you. I mean crappy like literally horrible, horrible quality. Just <laughs> depressing in every way. So I have a question for people. Like one of the things I wonder about, um, when when you guys do international travel, do you buy a SIM card wherever you go? I haven't personally. I um, I try to just – I well, the last time I went international, I just paid extra for like AT&T's international data. And then I tried to keep all my usage to a minimum just to keep things kind of on the down low mostly. Same with me. That's what I've done in the past. I just get some data from AT&T. But the SIM card situation it is uh, not 
that difficult to navigate. I mean, if I was going to, if I would have spent more time in Germany on the, in this last trip, I would have gotten one. But I was mostly home because I was doing work for ours in the evening. So I actually didn't feel like I needed to have that connectivity or access to uh, cell phone usage there. And in fact, I used Skype as my travel uh, telephone there. So as long as I had Wi-Fi, I, I had a German telephone number that I could use for myself or an American one. And I, I prepaid some of that. And it was brilliant. I mean, I could call anybody here in the United States, and it would just come through as a regular phone call. So uh, I loved that. I didn't feel like I needed a, a SIM card. Yeah, I was really wondering that myself because when I went to Mexico, I was like, what do people, I don't even know what people do with their phones and what, how anyone handles this. But what I ended up doing was just not using the data because it was some, some ridiculous like $20 per megabyte or something like that. Um, and I just turned on this, uh, they have this package where you pay $5 in Mexico and you get a, a cheaper rate for minutes. And that was like all I did with my phone. Other than that, I just like used the Wi-Fi in the lobby. There was also something liberating in Berlin in particular where people weren't hooked into their phones the way that we are, where you just depend on every single thing for it. So I eased up a little bit on my own uh, usage of it while I was there. And I, I was able to relax a little bit more. But of course, when I was at home, it, I was fully plugged into everything through my MacBook Air and my iPad. Yeah, I, I guess it really just depends on how far you want to go in terms of you know, using Wi-Fi everywhere or just going for it and going for the SIM. I mean, I know a lot of people who have gotten the SIMs wherever they are going, but I just feel like that's just almost, it's almost like a step beyond what I'm normally willing to do. You know what I would recommend for people would be if you can set this up before you go, this is very specific to Europe, but it's handy. Buy a cheap phone from somebody coming back or just on eBay, one that will accept those those SIMs. And then once you're there, pick it up. You At a grocery store, you can get them for like 15 euro. And then go to town because once you have it, then you're, you can just go to multiple countries and, and use your phone. It's pretty neat. The, the key is that phone, though. I mean, it's stressful to have to shop for a phone while you're there, and they can be a little pricey. So, Well, if, I mean, if you're using a, a multi-band GSM phone anywhere or whatever, you just put a SIM card in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That is well. I think, like, anybody who's, I, I think anybody who's a T-Mobile user here in the U.S., their phone should be compatible with a lot of the European bands, right? I think nowadays, yeah, probably. And I think most of the GSM phones that are compatible with AT&T and T-Mobile are, I mean, it should work there in Europe with whatever their carriers are. And so, Ryan, what's your must-have app when you travel? Um, I'm a big TripIt user. I depend very heavily on TripIt. And um, not just for, like, the main reservation stuff, but I also end up putting, like, all of my event scheduling stuff in it just so that it's all in one place. So I would say that would be my number one must-have app. Um but I also use a lot of the mapping stuff just to get around. I use off maps and it's brilliant. Like you can just purchase the maps for the cities that you're going to visit. So I have New York and I had what else? Madrid, Berlin. And it was perfect because I, I always freak out when I don't have internet access and then I'm in the subway and I, I don't know where I'm going and uh, they're completely offline. They're, they're not as accurate as Google maps, but uh, they worked. I didn't. I didn't die. I'm still here. 
<laughs> this time. This time. <laughs> so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It would be nice to have, like, an offline solution that could give you, like, public transit-type directions overseas. Um, I got lost once in um, the, uh, the the subway in Berlin. That was quite an experience, one I would care to never repeat. So <laughs> we need to have a solution for that. I uh, think yeah, I think Windows Phone does that now with the really? or the Nokia Transit app. You can like um, pin entire or I don't know if pin is the word, but you can like um, save offline a bunch of maps, um, like by country or by city. I think to your phone so you can use them offline. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. So here's another thing that is essential for me when I travel uh, is, is food. Uh, you guys know I, I'm, I'm always looking for like the right place to eat. And Matt uh, also is really into food. And one thing that I can't live without actually is Instapaper. So the way I, I, I will use it is in the hotel room if I don't have um, Wi-Fi connectivity when I'm actually in the street. In the hotel room, I'll get on the Wi-Fi with iPad or the iPhone, find local blogs or just uh, city pages that mention interesting restaurants, and then I save all of those to Instapaper and bring them over offline so that when I'm walking around, I have them. And that, that's that been really useful. I think it's actually been even more focused. It's a more focused way of uh, finding these restaurants because by then you've You've locked yourself into a few choices, uh, but the ability to find these local blogs uh, while I'm there is cool. I tried doing this before I arrived and sort of researching all the local stuff, but it wasn't as as handy as when I was there. Because by the time you're there, you are more familiar with the streets, the transportation, you have more of a feel of what's going on. And then you make some better choices about what blogs you're going to pick up tips from for restaurants and markets. So. I couldn't live without the Instapaper for for that. What a strange use of Instapaper. <laughs> yeah, that does seem that's that's I I've not used it for something like that yet. Yeah, that's more of like an Evernote use case in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. But, but that's, I guess if I mean if it's what you have, why not? Well, you know, it just it loads fast and sometimes when you're traveling and you're on the subway, I mean, I again, I freak out about not getting my stuff stolen or looking conspicuous. Uh, I have all that stuff in there and then the maps are in my phone too and I could get to these places quickly. And that's how I got to eat uh, cocido in Spain, which is uh, this stew made out of uh, tripe. Sounds delicious. <laughs> it was, believe me. Great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So uh, um, I know that you mentioned this road trip, and I don't know if I assume this is a different road trip than the one that you and I were talking about, how we were going to try and do um, a road trip with, like, the tech of 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, there's there's just a, a lot of stuff, I a know. lot of ideas floating, but we got to see what's actually reasonable and affordable. So, What road trip are you going on? W- one would be Matt wants to go on a road trip to like locally through the Midwest. So maybe we go to Wisconsin or maybe oh, Minnesota, et cetera. And, and that's kind of your classic road trip. The one you're, you and I are talking about, that would be pretty awesome to put ourselves in the time machine and say the technology of, let's say, 20 years ago, like uh, 1992. Let's yeah. go on a road trip using that tech. That one probably won't be that even that exciting either. <laughs> It'd probably still only be to like Michigan. <laughs> so there's that. And then San Francisco, that is not a road trip. But we talked about doing a half marathon in <sighs> the summer. 
Uh-oh. I can't. I can't believe you're calling me on this now here. But <laughs> but haven't you already? Uh, you've both already done half marathons, right? Yeah, we were gonna do another one this year, and then potentially we we're gonna do the San Francisco half marathon. Um, but the problem is that it's June, and that I I personally have not begun training at all, and the San Francisco half marathon is at the end of July. So for me, that's like too short t- of a time to mm-hmm. train. It's also hills. No, I don't actually care that much about the hills. The hills, for some reason, that doesn't really bother me. Um, I just don't think that there's enough time. Um, but, you know, I could go. I could do it, maybe. <laughs> well, there's other, there's other ones. Maybe I can convince you to come do one in uh, New York. That might actually be more feasible, and there's better weather. When is New fall. York Half Marathon? It's like in um, October or something, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, well, the full marathon is in in the it's fall. It's like the f- first weekend of November, I think, mm-hmm. usually. Okay. Well, I'll look it up. Because I, I, I am actually a little concerned about temperatures. That there's no way of predicting what's going to happen. And last year's experience, I don't know if we, we all four haven't chatted about it, but the, the experience was exhilarating because it was Jackie's first half marathon and Clint was there. It was his first half marathon. But the temperature was horrendous i mean i i we all had a terrible time surviving that heat and i don't want to repeat that if i can i mean we almost died and that was in october though that's (laughs) the the problem is that it was in october and we almost died so i mean how are we gonna i don't know (laughs) i don't know i am i'm kind of uh, you're forcing me to come out on this by saying that I, I'm not even sure if I can even do it this year. <laughs> well, and but, listen, I'm trying to get Casey and Ryan too. I, I'm always trying to uh, recruit more people to my cult of running. So, Well, right. If we do it in New York, we should at least have to drag Casey into it. Yeah, I would, prob- I would probably uh, get on that boat if you did it in New York. Mm. Although I don't <laughs> think I've ever, I've never run even close to that far. I don't think so. It would be, it would be a long road for me. If you've done three miles in your life, like you can t- completely do this. Oh yeah, yeah. No. Oh. Now, mm-hmm. when one time when Clint and I went to San Francisco for for WWC sometime in the past, we had met some random dude who was lecturing us on half marathons, and he said that his threshold was seven miles. He was like, "If you've ever run seven miles, then you can totally do half marathon." <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So I don't know about three miles. <laughs> Well, that, that's how I trick people into doing these things. <laughs> My secret is out. You're well, like, I, I, know. I would, I would, I would come out in favor of the three mile threshold because I don't think I really liked running or felt I was any good at running or felt like running wasn't entirely a terrible experience every time I did it until I started running three miles on a regular basis. So I'm, I'm on board with that. All right. Well, maybe we should conspire to do a New York thing and we'll get Casey involved. And uh, maybe if we can get Ryan to join us eventually. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> Ryan's like, never. I will never come. You, you I have least... enough trouble getting off my ass and getting around the block, you know? <laughs> well, you can meet us in New York and have brunch with us after the race. Mm, yeah. See, that I can help <laughs> with. Well, yeah. yeah, we're always down for that, too. Yes. The, the, the real reason we run this much is just because we like to schedule brunch after each training run or the race. Yes, the secret is that we just like to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so eat so, and preemptively burn the calories. Right. Uh, that's mostly the motivation behind, behind the whole thing. 
So thank everybody for listening. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new Ars Technicast episode. So I guess that's it. Bye. 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 Well, I don't know about you guys, but my LinkedIn password got leaked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mine did not, even though mine was like the least like I, I rotate through about. I have like a couple I have like a few base passwords and then variations on those passwords. And this is like one of the least complicated variations of the least complicated password. And it didn't get leaked. So I was like, good. Before even, uh, even getting a chance to check, I just went ahead and changed it because I knew what I was using before was not secure. I mean, it's from when I first created the account and it's my most, it's one of the oldest passwords I have and it's like the easiest to get. So I just thought, let's go to generate a long one. I think it's like 16 characters long and I felt a little better, <laughs> just a little. Yeah, my my password that I was using was from when I created the account too, which must be... I mean, it's got to be pushing close to 10 years at this point. Mm-hmm. However however long LinkedIn has been around, that's how old my password is. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't particularly surprised, but I was still kind of annoyed because um, that's an old password, but I still use it in a few places. So I was like, oh, now I have to really change every single, I mean, every single place that I could possibly be using the old password after you change it but i treated it like spring cleaning i just looked at some other services i was using that had either that similar password or just something not secure and i just started updating uh them so about four or five other sites i i changed my password why not yeah what about you ryan did anything happen to your linkedin password did you even check yeah, I checked. Um, mine got leaked but did not get cracked. It's um, over 13 characters long and completely random, so I don't anticipate it being easy to crack, but I changed it anyway, and I wasn't really using it anywhere else, so no no real risk to me, I don't think. Um, yes. Yeah, and if somebody did get into my LinkedIn account, I don't think I'd mind all that much. <laughs> well, there's nothing in there. They're yeah. going to update you with uh, some new professional contacts. Yeah, yeah. The only people I know who use it are looking for jobs. It's a job search tool. Yeah, yeah that's true. You know, it's funny because, like, when, when somebody was talking about the uh, LinkedIn IPO versus the Facebook IPO on, like, CNBC or something, a talking head was talking about how they think LinkedIn is so much more valuable because the people who are visiting the site are a professional audience. They must have money. I'm like, no, there's people searching for jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I even – I have to admit, I don't really – I've known a lot of people who have searched for jobs in the last few years, and none of those people really use LinkedIn. I mean, they kind of keep it around, but I wouldn't even say that LinkedIn was like a huge part of the job search for them. I don't find it particularly effective, and I get similar feedback. I The one thing I can tell you guys, though, from the community side, it does have a few groups, like professional groups, that are very active, and some of them are very nicely moderated. And I think some people get a benefit out of using those. So if you're a you know a physical therapist, there's groups for that, and um, that might be helping people find jobs. But like sort of the way it just kind of show pushes out your resume and lets you you know have an inbox. I'm like, why couldn't I just use an email <laughs> or Twitter to to talk yeah. to people? You know, I think the only reason I actually have a LinkedIn account 
is because when I was maintaining Gwibber, there were a bunch of people who wanted LinkedIn support for it. I created an account just to look at the APIs and see what it would be, what would be involved. And uh, I mean, that really is like the only reason I even bothered creating an account there. I created an account when I was at my old, my old jobs, which were I was I used to work as a programmer. So like, I guess. Per, it, at least judging by Clint's inquiries, it seems like a lot of companies do use LinkedIn to recruit programmers. So I don't know. I created it back then because I was like, well, everyone's joining LinkedIn, so I may as well join, join LinkedIn. But since then, I mean, I haven't used it in years probably. I should probably just close my account, but I feel like I should keep it around just in case. I saw a funny thing on Twitter. Somebody was saying like, hey, if one of you hackers gets into my account, would you mind deleting it for me? I don't feel like dealing with it. <laughs> I know. I, I honestly wonder. I mean, I'm not just saying this to be malicious because I don't have anything against LinkedIn necessarily, but I really wonder how many active users they have that are actually on it every day, you know, connecting to people or whatever people do on LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I feel like most people just kind of have an, an account just to keep it around, and most people don't use it all the time. But maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe that's just my circles. They do have some pretty interesting global reach, though. They, they reach some, some type of saturation in the U.S. market, so a lot of people have it. But I know in other countries, that's kind of where their success has come in the past few years, because now you can get a LinkedIn account in other places. So that might be kind of where they're getting some traction. and. I think, you know, it just depends what field you're in. I think for some professions, there might be more activity in there than, than for us. I know for media, it's not, um, I, I don't find anything in there that I, I use on a regular basis. Well, as a journalist, one thing that I actually do with it, though I don't even log in to do it, is I'll, I'll search for somebody on there just to get like what their official job title is. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I've done that too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I think it's very useful when I'm trying to figure out who the hell someone is when they have emailed me, and then I'm like, oh, yeah. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or like if, this- I'm, if I'm doing like a, an article about an open source thing and the guy puts his handle in the, in the source card, I'm like, who is this? I can look up, <laughs> oh, he's from such and such a company, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great way to verify people's identities. That, that is kind of true. Yeah. I must say any success they've gotten, too, is, like, despite the horrible... I think... I, I, I hate the look of LinkedIn. I hate looking at it. I think it's 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 such a pain to read to me and to, like, navigate. Yeah, it feels like such a 90s kind of look and feel. You're right. Yeah, not a fan. So we're talking about stormtroopers, right? <laughs> <laughs> what was all of this? Yeah, something about, something about gay stormtroopers. Gay stormtroopers. <laughs> I don't really know. I, I don't actually know like where where Forzen like started with that from, but <laughs> it's brilliant. Some he said it was part of the, his job. I wonder if it was in the forums or I don't know. Just for the I, I saw at some other point that his his girlfriend replied to him, so I got the impression that he was explaining it to her. But I don't know. <laughs> it was this fabulous. was that it was that stormtroopers. You can't marry two stormtroopers or something like that? Unless it's a gay wedding. Okay. Because they're all male. Right. The assumption is that there's no female uh, stormtroopers. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's fair, but... Well, how do you know? I mean, how do we know? Well, the issue is that the original stormtroopers were all clones of Jango Fett, 
Mm-hmm. They were all every single one was a clone originally. So the, the the question though was whether they were all clones forever or whether there were humans later, which as it turns out was the case. The the, the second generation of stormtroopers were all recruit human recruits instead of clones. Oh. Wow. I did not know that actually. So how, how do we know they were recruits? Did I miss that it, in the movies or the novels? The um we looked that up on the uh, the Star Trek wiki or the Star Wars wiki, and um, it, it alludes to all these different like canon sources that are not the movies. So <laughs> I don't oh. know. Well. Wow! Oh, canon sources. Okay, I mean that kind of makes sense, I guess. But um, the, the Star Wars canon is pretty broad. There are a lot of other sources that are considered canon outside of the movies. Huh. So we know that they're humans, but we still don't know if they're women. Well, it says there There was actually quite a bit of detail. It, it says that, that there were women, but there were very few after the, they started recruiting non, non-clones. non I wonder so, if they had different armor. Like, doesn't the armor yeah, they mimic need a the male plate. form, right. if I recall correctly? Well, there's cod pieces on those things. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it, not, not to get too dirty, but, I mean, that doesn't matter, right? I mean, we, not for the ladies, but the, the, the upper body would need a... Uh, breastplate. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Some support. Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> Interesting, though. I, I mean, this is this is something that we could go down for for minutes. <laughs> and here's here's the, uh, the the relevant section from the wiki. Despite the influx of new troopers from various sources, the ranks remain dominated by human males, thus reflecting the new order's human high culture. Uh, by zero BBY, roughly one third of the stormtroopers were clones based on the FET template, while recruits steadily became the majority within the stormtrooper corps. Uh, service in the stormtrooper corps was open to both human men and women, but female troopers were an extremely rare sight under Palpatine's reign. In spite of this disparity, some female troopers served in elite units, such as the Corsican Guard. Huh. So Forsman was wrong then. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. We should have we should have invited him on to talk about. It. <laughs> this is fascinating. It is. I never really thought about it. They're due. They're due for like a, a novel about uh, some female stormtrooper braving the ranks of men. Well, do you remember when the the new series came out, the the prequels, and there were female Jedi's? Like there, all the discussions around that. Do you recall this? No, I don't. Uh, it, yeah, with the you know with the in, within groups of Star Wars fans, it, it was a big deal because in the f- original first three movies, you only ever saw male Jedi's. Hmm. Yeah, and, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So George Lucas introduced them, I think. Yeah, in the first in what the Phantom Menace, and I thought it was cool, but they didn't really get speaking parts or anything. Well, you know, in in canon, you know, Anakin's Padawan was a female Jedi in training. Oh um, yeah, that's shoot, what's true. her name from Clone Wars? Yes. That's oh right. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I guess they don't mention her though in the you know in four, five, or six. I never watched the the prequels myself. I think I watched the first uh, four hours of the six hour second one or whatever, and I was bored to tears, so I just never I never tried again. <laughs> So actually, no, this actually changes everything because after looking at the Twitter um, conversation, I I really believed that, that there was no possibility for this. But now, I mean, if even if there were only a few female stormtroopers, there, I mean, certainly there could be more and more of them as time went on. 
That's true. If they were yeah, a progressive society. So. What, the Empire? <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> <laughs>